the Word? It was a lot of Word last year, wasn't there? Powerful lot of preaching in this place. <laughs> ah, glory to God. All right, Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. This morning, I want to not do the traditional uh, first Sunday of the New Year sermon. Uh, I feel particularly exercised to do something else today. Uh, it may not seem like something that's relevant to the new year, but actually it is very, very relevant indeed. And uh, so, Luke chapter 17, and reading from verse 1. And he said to his disciples, It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. If he sins against you seven times in a day and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. It is impossible that no offenses offenses should come. There are few things in life as certain as this one thing. You will be offended. And in 2012, it is absolutely guaranteed. It's a certainty. It's impossible for it not to happen. You are going to be offended. Not only that, but in all probability, you will be an offender, and me too. Now, since we know that it's going to happen and it's guaranteed, then we need to know how to handle it when it comes. Dr. Ralph Earle, New Testament scholar, says that the word offense here and in other places has two shades of meaning. First, the word, first of all, the word is scandalon, from which we get scandal and scandalized from. It first meant the bait stick in a snare or the trigger in a trap. I'm sure all of us has seen one of those big bear traps, you know, with those great big jagged teeth and how they're stretched open. But in the middle is that little plate, that metal plate. And as soon as a bear or a human being hits the bait stick, it snaps shut, tight, caught in a trap. Later on, the word scandalon began to mean the, the trap itself. So it literally means to entrap or to ensnare. Secondly, it means to cause to stumble or to cause to sin. First Peter chapter 2, verse 8. Peter's talking about the builders who were the religious hierarchy of Christ's day. The builders rejected Christ, who was the chief cornerstone, and said about that, that he became to them a stumbling stone or a rock of offense, a scandal 
They were scandalized by Christ and they stumbled over him because he made out that he was the Son of God and among other things. And so if we put all of that together, we could say an offense is something designed to trap or to ensnare, which if we're not careful and we don't handle it properly when it comes, it will cause us to stumble and to sin. And all of us, without exception, including this preacher, has fallen into that trap on more than one occasion to our detriment, to our defilement, actually, we'll see later on the Bible talks about. So things happen to us that offend us. We get scandalized, we get shocked, we get greatly disappointed, our feelings are hurt. We cannot believe that they said that or she did that or he thought that. And once we begin to think those things, then Satan is setting the trap. The snare is set. And we're about to fall into that trap. And perhaps we're about to stumble and sin because of it. Now, offenses come in many forms, but usually either by word or by deed. Somebody said something, somebody did something. We said something, we did something. Sometimes the offenses are real, but sometimes they are imaginary. We imagined somebody said something or did something. Oh, yes, there's times they're absolutely real. We cannot deny that. But there's sometimes it's our perception. We took out of it an offense. Sometimes offenses are intentional. Sometimes people go out of their way to offend. They're offensive people. But then there are other times when it is unintentional. They didn't mean it. Just didn't think. It's perhaps an act of thoughtlessness. And they just didn't think, or we didn't think, never imagining that what we unintentionally said or did, that somebody would take offense out of it. But they did. <coughs> Highly offended. Did you ever highly offend somebody? And you shake your head and think, what in the world have I done? <laughs> I can't even imagine what I've done. And so sometimes it is entirely unintentional. It could be a snub, an oversight, a deliberate insult, or a rebuke. Whether it was warranted or not warranted, none of us like to be rebuked. Sure we don't. Do you like to be corrected? I don't. But it's good for me if it's genuine and it's real and it's done in the right spirit for the right reasons. So these things happen. Can happen at work, happen at home, can happen at church. Yes, can happen at church. Happens at church a lot. Can happen through your enemies. But it can also happen through maybe even your very best friend. Actually, God can offend you. We'll talk about that later. And so have you ever been offended? Felt hurt? 
used, abused, alienated, felt forgotten about, overlooked, bypassed, misunderstood, blamed in the wrong. How did you feel? Well, I know how I feel when those things happen. Sometimes I'm angry. Sometimes I feel sad. Sometimes I'm bitterly disappointed. But the chances are that perhaps you were offended and didn't even recognize that you were offended. Sometimes say, I'm really, really hurt. What we really mean is I'm really, really offended. <laughs> Let me give you some telltale signs to know when people are offended. They often become withdrawn or isolated. Often. And particularly in a church setting, they become withdrawn and isolated. They retreat into a world of, if I could put it bluntly, self-pity, feeling sorry for themselves and feeling justified that they're sorry for themselves because maybe the offense was real and genuine. Now, you cannot stop offenses coming against you. There's absolutely nothing you can do that will stop offenses. Jesus said it's impossible but that offenses will come, but it's how you handle them when they come is going to make the difference. That's our responsibility. And so, there's a tendency for people to build up walls around themselves, as fences around themselves. And as somebody rightly said that when you put a fence around yourself, often you fence out more than you're fencing in. The people put up the walls. The Bible speaks of this in Proverbs 18 19. It says that a brother offended is harder to win than a strong city, and contentions are like the bars of a castle. So if somebody really, really takes offense and they don't really deal with it, it becomes a stronghold in their life. And they build up all kinds of walls and defenses around themselves with the thought, they're never going to hurt me again. But you cannot go through your life, particularly your Christian life, with that attitude. Because you will fence out more than you're fencing in. You'll end up in a very small, isolated world if you do that. I found that people often feel threatened or jealous or vulnerable. Sometimes when they feel offended, they become hostile, unreasonable, difficult maybe even proud. So there's all kinds of attitudes and emotions and feelings come out of offense. And this is why Jesus is pointing this out. This is why I'm sharing this this morning because here we write on the, on the doorstep of a whole new year. And as Clifford said earlier, not knowing what I was going to speak on because he felt it was from the Spirit of God and it just proves it, that you do not want to go through this year holding on to an offense. 
you will be the loser. It will hurt you more than the person who offended you. Because I guarantee, even if they did deliberately do it, they will go on their merry way, not even thinking about you, and you will nurse that offense, and you'll be miserable because of it, and you'll be the loser because of it. And so it's a very important thing to deal with, particularly at the start of a new year. When, as Clifford said earlier, you've got to take all that stuff, all those offenses and the hurts and stuff of this past year, don't carry it into the new year. Now, I'm not talking about a hurt that, a bereavement or something like that, or, or a breakup of a relationship. I'm not talking about those things. I mean, those things just doesn't heal overnight. You can't just switch that on and off. But I'm talking about offenses, stuff that happens in everyday life and in church life, and she said this, he did that, and all the rest of it. Carry that into this year. You'll not be productive. You'll not be blessed. You'll not have joy. You'll not have peace. All you'll get through the year, you always do, but not, not victoriously, not, not the way that God intended King Saul is a classic example. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, it says, Now when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. This is after the great uh, victory over Goliath. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. And Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. And so David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul sent him over the men of war. And he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servant. So far, so good. Everything's going swimmingly as it should have been. Young man's being honored for what he has done for the Lord and for his nation and for his king. But now it happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine that the woman had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, with musical instruments. So the woman sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. And he said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Ah, that old jealousy, that old ego that could not be satisfied. And then it says, so Saul eyed David from that day forward. You know, if you read on through the history of Saul, you'll see that from that moment, something very detrimental to the soul took place. He should have been bigger than that. Should have been a bigger man, but he wasn't. And that offense got into his heart. And it took root in his heart. And it was the destruction of the man. 
full of anger and bitterness and jealousy and rage because the woman sang and in their song they placed David a little above Saul and he just couldn't handle it. Naaman the leper in 2 Kings chapter 5 is another good example. Now Naaman, commander of the army the king of Syria was a great and honorable man in the sight of his eyes of his master because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. So the Syrians had gone out on raids and brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife, and she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. And Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. Notice here nothing about the prophet. And so he departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand shekels of gold and ten changes of clothing. Then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which said, Now be advised, when this letter comes to you, I have sent Nathan my servant to you, that you may heal him of his leprosy. And it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? Therefore please consider now and see he seeks a quarrel with me. And so it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes. He sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Please let me come, sorry, please let him come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. Then Naaman went with his horses and chariot, and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over this place and heal this Leprosy. Here is a man of high standing. Here is a man who commanded authority. Here is a man who thought all that high standing and authority was due to him. God was going to bring him down a peg, and he didn't like it. The prophet didn't even go out to see him personally. He sent his messenger out. That infuriated him no end. What a way to treat a great dignitary, <laughs> a great emissary of the king of Syria. But you see, God was working in this man's heart. And he's offended. He had never been treated this way before. If this had been back home, he would have had his head off him. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Do you ever feel that you were mistreated? That you weren't giving your due? That you were overlooked? That you were treated less than you respect than you thought you should have had? How do you react? Angry? Secretly seething inside? Hmm. There's an offense. Servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, Wash and be clean? 
It's just a simple thing. He's not asking much. But some great thing you'd have done that with a heart and a half. See, that would really fell his ego, wouldn't it? Just, just go and wash. So, he went down, dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And if you read on that story, you'll see that this man's heart was truly, absolutely, truly changed. He became a follower of the one true and the living God because the offense was dealt with. Now, had he went back to Syria, he would have been harboring that for the rest of his life. But thank God he humbled himself. He humbled himself before God. And God healed him and blessed him, changed his life entirely. Bible talks about the offense of the cross. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 18, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but us, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, sorry, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For the Jews request a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a scandal. Stumbling block, scandal on. They were scandalized. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. People are still stumbling over Christ to this day. They're still scandalized. Do you know there's religious people, and I'm talking about high religious people, who are scandalized at the thought of Jesus dying on the cross for your sins and my sins. It's an offense to them. An offense to them. They're scandalized. They stumble over it. They just don't get it. In Luke chapter 15, the well-known story, and we not read it, of course, of the prodigal son, and how he came back, and the father so blessed him and hugged him and kissed him and put his robe on and the ring and his sandals and his feet and killed the fatted calf and said, let's eat and be merry. My son was dead as alive. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Then verse 25. Now his older brother was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. 
Who was he angry about? What was he angry about? And so he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours, came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. You know who he's really, really angry at? The father. Oh, he was angry at the son a long time ago. He was angry at the young brother ages ago. From the first day he left, he was angry at him. But now he's angry at the father. And he's angry at the father because the father is showing mercy and he's showing grace. And it offends him. He's highly offended because the father has forgiven and has shown mercy and grace. Do you know the reality of it is that you and I can be offended for the very same reason? Somebody you don't like, somebody maybe you even secretly despise, and God blesses them in spite of that. And you wonder, how could God bless them? Because I really don't like them. And he goes ahead and blesses them anyway. I think maybe just to see how you're going to take it. <laughs> and we get offended. And we get upset and we get angry. Because the Father has shown grace and mercy. And it's his prerogative to do that because it's his son as well, isn't it? So we need to be careful. Mark chapter 4, it talks about that seed that was sown in the stony ground. And then when persecution arose for the word's sake, immediately it withered and it died. When it got offended. And that's what the teaching was there. Sometimes you see we're going all along great, super spiritual. But the test comes when you get offended. That's when the test comes. It's not when everything's going well. You love everybody and everybody loves you. But when somebody offends you, then everything can change. In that First Peter chapter 2, where I mentioned earlier, where it talks about the rock of offense. Listen to what it says. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes in him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were Point it. Jesus offended his disciples often. 
He offended them. They didn't understand what he was saying. Do you know the Word of God can offend us if we don't understand what it's saying? Or if we do understand what it's saying and we don't want to change to obey it, then it can offend us. Do you ever come to a part of the Word of God and you, you just flick over it? You, you know what it's going to say and you don't like what it's saying, so you just... Ah, oh, no, of course, you're too spiritual to do that. It's only, only me, me, that would happen to. <laughs> well, you can be sure that's offending you. Well, we don't really want to face it head on. We want to almost live in denial of it. Or just conveniently flick that over. And you can be sure that's offending us. In John chapter 6, we're okay for time because we'll be finished reasonably shortly. Jesus here is obviously giving the illustration about him being the bread of life. The disciples didn't understand it. In verse 53, he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood is eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As a living Father has sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever." These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore many of the disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? Are you scandalized? Are you stumbling over what I've just said? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. <laughs> of course, those disciples thought he was speaking about literal flesh and blood, but he was speaking about it spiritually. And they were offended. Jesus offended his dearest friends. Think about it. He's just a little bit down the road. Just a couple of miles down the road. The word comes to him that one of his closest friends has died. Lazarus. His two sisters have sent for Jesus. For sure he'll come. Why wouldn't he? Loves this family. Stays in their home. Eats at their table. 
sleeps in the spare bed many times, feels comfortable there. There's no question in their minds he'll come, but he doesn't come. He doesn't come. He waits three days and three nights. By this time, he stinketh. He's in the tomb. Comes on the fourth day. Do you ever wonder why? Why three days, three nights? See, there was a belief in those days among the Jews that Messiah, when he would come, one of the signs of Messiahship would be raising the dead. But not just any raising of the dead. Because what they also believed was that when someone died, that their spirit hovered around for three days and three nights before it went to Sheol, place of the departed. So remember Jesus, he raised up Jairus' daughter from the dead, the widow of Nain's son. And that was wonderful, tremendous miracle. But to be the true sign of the Messiah would have to be dead three days and three nights at least. That would be the evidence. So Jesus waits three days and three nights. He's going to give them an opportunity for their faith to grow, but also for them to see who he really truly is. You remember how that John the Baptist, how when he was imprisoned, and how that he kind of lost his faith at that moment during that hard time? So he sent a couple of his disciples to Jesus, asked the question, are you he that should come, or do we look for another? Have we totally missed it? Are you the Messiah? And what did Jesus answer? Tell John, the deaf hear, the blind see, the lame walk, and the dead are raised to life again. Because every self-respecting Jew will be looking at that as one of the signs of Messiahship. So Jesus waits three days, he waits three nights. And during that time, we'll not read the story, you know it well, during that time, they are getting more and more offended by the hour. And by the time Jesus comes, if you had have been here, boy, they were offended. They just didn't get it, did they? In spite of what Jesus was going to show them and do for them and show himself as the Messiah, their own need overrode all of that. And sometimes God wants to do things in our lives and our own need overrides all of that and we get offended if he doesn't do it in time. Well, of course, I know that you're very spiritual people in here and if God doesn't answer your prayer when you want, I know that you just say, well, that's okay, Lord. That's all right. I understand. In your time. Not what you're like. No. <laughs> Most of her are not like that. We get offended. 
Well, God's forgotten about me. We mean, I, Lord, I don't deserve this. I mean, why should this happen to me? And we, on and on we go, we're, because we're offended. We just don't understand. You know, stop to think for one minute that maybe God is trying to do something greater in our lives. He's certainly going to do something greater in their lives, but they didn't understand that at the time because they were offended. What a wonderful, glorious resurrection that was when he did resurrect them from the dead. Now listen, we're almost finished. Hebrews 12, you don't need to turn to this. Hebrews 12, 14 and 15, listen to what it says. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many are defiled. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. Root here is rizzo, R-I-S-Z-O. And it literally means as in the root of a tree. And just the way the roots of a tree go down into the soil and embed themselves in the soil... So an offense like the roots of a tree can go into our soul and embed itself. And that bitterness, those roots of bitterness gets embedded in our soul if we don't deal with it. Anybody has ever had to pull out a stump of an old tree or bush in your garden, you know what I'm talking about. It may be dead on the top. There's not a leaf on it. And it's dry as a stick until you go to pull that thing out and you think the roots is about six feet down into the ground. It's round stones and roots of other trees around it. And you can hardly get the thing out. You take a spade and a pickaxe. Sweat's blind. You try to get that thing out. You can't believe how embedded it is. Well, that's what happens with offenses in our souls if we don't deal with it pretty quickly. See, once it takes root, it's harder to deal with. It's harder to deal with. The word bitterness here is picria. Picria. And picria is an unusual word. It's an unusual word. It means an inward attitude that shows up in your face. An inward attitude that shows up in your face. Anybody in here, I know some of you because you told me, you don't need to put your hand up. I'm putting mine up just to make a point. Anybody in here suffer from reflux? You know what reflux is? You know, whenever that acid in your stomach that is very useful and good because it causes your digestive system to operate right, but whenever it goes up right up into the neck of your stomach and it comes up into your gullet, and that Bitter bile acid when it gets into your throat. There's no way you're not going to screw your face up. Isn't that right? You're lying in bed there. That seems to be the worst time when you lie down. And you're propping yourself up in pillows to try to keep it down. And it keeps coming up. And it's bitter as gall. And you're screwing your face up. If we allow bitterness of an offense to take root 
in our souls. It will show up in our face. All you have to do is think about that person. Your face changes. Am I right? That person just got to walk past and your whole demeanor changes. That bitterness comes up into your throat. See, the Bible is very accurate when it talks about these things. Paul said in Ephesians 4, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Listen to what grieves the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you're seated for the day of redemption. Listen to what grieves the Spirit of God. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if, if, can't hear you? No, I can't, I can't hear that. If, if you love one another. That's the criteria. We can tell all we want out there and witness all we want out there to the unbelievers in this world. It doesn't mean a blind thing to them until they see it in action in our lives. Until the walk matches the talk. That's when they start to listen. And then Jesus makes it even tougher. (laughs) If you think it's hard to love one another, Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. (laughs) Boy, that's tough, isn't it? In fact, you could not love one another as Jesus loves us unless and until we are controlled by the Holy Spirit. Because if we're controlled by our flesh, we're not going to love one another. Certainly not going to love one another the way Jesus loves us. But if we're controlled by the Holy Spirit so that he can convict us and speak to our hearts and say, "Uh uh-uh, this is not right. I've had to do it. I've I've had to to let go of stuff that I was angry about and people I was angry, I've had to let go of it because life is too short. And you know what? It defiles our spirit. And that bitterness keeps coming up. And if we don't deal with it, let me tell you, it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And just the very sound of somebody's name will just set you off. And here we are, the first Sunday in 2012. And you've got a choice. You can carry that all throughout this year. You can carry it throughout your whole life if you want. But you'll be the loser. You'll suffer spiritually. You'll not be as blessed as much as you should be or could be. I want all the blessing God's got for me. I really do. And God help me. I'm sure in the past I've missed some of it because of my stupidity or because I held on to something I shouldn't have held on to. But I don't want to do that. I don't want to go in this year holding on to stuff that I need to let go of. So we're going to do that in Jesus' name today. Amen. Amen. Come on, stand with me.
Sister standing here just this morning, can I just thought a little bit? That was a wonderful message, church. I'm telling you. That's, it's an on-time message, and if you don't need it now, you might need it before the end of the year. I've had times, we're all in the same boat, guys. There's no reason any different. I remember one time coming in here when there was three rooms in the back, and I came in, and I said to David one time, I went into him, I said, David, please give me something in my mind here, because I am fit to kill somebody. <laughs> Simply because I'm offended, I'm mad, I'm angry, and I needed help to get my, my mind balanced, because I was ready to kill but I believe this morning, now listen to me, because, and as David said, we never talk about messages and stuff. We don't, I don't even know what he was going to preach this morning. But God knows what he's up to. And I believe with every fiber of my being that the Holy Spirit has been in this house this morning and he's doing spiritual surgery. Church, and I hate to say this, but it's because some of us need it. And I have to tell you this because the Spirit of God won't let me go out of here without doing it. I'm bringing it down on a personal level. I got to tell you, that spirit of offense is in your house. It's in your family. It's in your conversation. And it's in the decisions that you're making about your future. And God is wanting to tell you, it's wrong. You've got to stop it. And stop letting the spirit of offense guide your steps and fill your house with wrong words. I love you with every fiber of my being. I do. I would not offend you unnecessarily in any way. But I know that it's there. I know it. I know it by the Spirit. I know it's there. And I know it by some information. I know it's there. And God is saying this morning, it's time to deal with it. Don't take it into 2012. Yeah, absolutely. I want you this morning, just as we stand here, because we need the help of God to do this. I want you to open up your heart. I'm going to ask God to reach down into your very depths of your soul today and rip that root out. Destroy it in Jesus' name. Don't allow it to dominate you. Don't allow it to fill your thoughts, to sap you of your energies, to divert you of who you are in Christ and what you ought to be. So we're going to pray. And maybe this one prayer won't do it for you. Maybe you're going to have to go and quaint us of your own home and by your bedside or your secret closet and you're going to get on your knees before God and say, God, please help me. I don't want to live like this. I don't want this to rule my life. Father, we come to you this morning in that name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. The name that is bigger than this offense. Lord, you died for us. You shed your blood for us to forgive us all of our offenses. All of the things, Lord, that we did against you, you forgive us willingly, freely, and it cost you your very life to do it. Lord, how can we not forgive? Lord, by your Holy Spirit today, reach down into our hearts. And Lord, rip out that offense, that root of bitterness, Lord. Lord, some of us have been there for years. Lord, rip it out by the power of your Holy Spirit that we be free from it. Lord, it never control us again. 
nor that we can live a life of freedom. Lord, we think about that situation or that person or that incident or that thing, Lord, that it doesn't have that effect on us any longer. Lord, we can put it under the blood. We leave it behind us, Lord, and we move on in our plan of God that's got for us in this year. Lord, that we be free indeed to serve you and to love you and to know you. So, Lord, in Jesus' name today, break us free from this. Whatever it is, Lord, that's holding us back, Lord, it's not worth it. It's not worth missing your glory for. It's not worth missing your blessing for. Lord, we lay it down today in Jesus' name. And we say, Lord, cleanse us, heal our hearts, and cause, Lord, your Holy Spirit to fill us to overflowing. Lord, only love and graciousness will come out, and Lord, it will not hold grudges, that we release it today in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for this. Thank you, Lord, for the power of your word, the strength of your Holy Spirit, in Christ's precious name. Amen. 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 Praise the Lord. Good.